You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Davidson, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. Today our guest is Dr. Ann Goldberg, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Endocrinology, Metabolism, and Lipid Research at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. And Dr. Goldberg is going to speak with us today about familial hypercholesterolemia. We're also going to talk a little bit about the work of the National Lipid Association Foundation in trying to spread the word about this important cholesterol disorder. Ann, thank you very much for, for joining us. You're welcome. So in my lipid practice, I've noticed that many patients are referred with severe type 2A dyslipidemia by the referring doctors, and they've never heard of the diagnosis of familial hypercholesterolemia. So can you tell us a little bit about how you make that particular diagnosis and what the prevalence is in the population and why it's so important to diagnose this disease rather than just treat the lipids? Familial hypercholesterolemia is actually one of the more common inherited disorders. And its prevalence is about 1 in 500 people, although there are some populations where it's a little more enriched in the population. And so this is an inherited disorder. You see elevated cholesterol levels from birth. And so patients have abnormalities in the LDL receptors. And generally, they have a gene mutation in something like the LDL receptor or in some other area that causes them to have LDL cholesterol levels that are about double what they should be. So from birth, you have people with very high LDLs, and in adults, you're seeing LDL cholesterol levels of 220 to 500. And the reason this is so important is that this is a treatable cause of atherosclerosis. So young people with FH, men in their 30s and 40s, women in their 50s and 60s, have a very increased risk of coronary artery disease. And so you see heart attacks in men in their 30s and 40s, women in their 50s and 60s. And this is something that we could treat. We have great treatments. We have statin drugs, which work really well. And what we'd like to do is make sure that more people are diagnosed. FH, the heterozygous form, is probably more common than type 1 diabetes, more common than cystic fibrosis, but nobody knows about it. Yes, it's very interesting. So the heterozygous form, also autosomal dominant trait, means that the patient inherited one bad gene from a parent, right? And so they have basically half the functioning LDL receptors. Correct. Half the LDL receptors. Now, homozygous form would mean that they'd have to get a bad gene from both parents. So both parents would have to be heterozygotes. What would be the incidence of that? And what would the cholesterol levels be in patients with homozygous familial hypercholesterol? So the homozygous patients have inherited an abnormal gene from each parent, and they either have this, inherited the same gene or two different heterozygous genes. So, but they still basically have fewer no LDL receptors, and they have cholesterol levels from birth of 600 to 1,000. So untreated, you see heart disease, you see heart attacks in children and adolescents. And many of them, without treatment, will die by their teens from heart disease. They'll die of heart attacks. The incidence is about one per million people, although there are a few populations where you see more, such as the French-Canadian population, South African, Afrikaans, and Christian Lebanese populations. You see more because of sort of smaller populations and a founder effect. 
in those populations, they have more heterozygotes, right? They have so. more heterozygotes, and therefore they have more homozygotes. The treatment of homozygous FH is LDLaphoresis. They do respond a little bit to medication, but that's usually not enough to get the levels down. Can you tell us about the diagnosis? So when a primary care doctor sees a young patient with a cholesterol of 320 or 350 and LDL over 200, what do they have to do to make the diagnosis and, and what are some of the clinical features? The diagnosis is made on the basis of the blood LDL levels. And if you see somebody, an adult, with an LDL over 220, it's a fairly good chance about 80% of those people will actually have FH. People should look for a detailed family history, so family history of high cholesterol levels, family history of premature coronary disease. And then the main physical sign that is classic for FH are tendons and thomas. And so one has to actually palpate, feel carefully the Achilles tendons for thickening and kind of nodules. And it takes a little bit of effort to do this and sort of to feel enough Achilles tendons to get an idea about what is a, a tendons anthoma. If you find a tendons anthoma, that really is really pathognomonic along with the high LDL level. Not everybody has it, though. Only about less than half the people with FH actually have tendons anthomas, but that is one of the main characteristics. There are a bunch of areas where people can go for detailed checklists to see whether the patient has familial hypercholesterolemia. In the U.S., it's MedPed, M-E-D-P-E-D. Their website has a checklist for diagnosing FH, but there's the Simon Broom Registry in England, and there's also a set of World Health Organization criteria. You can also do gene screening. You can look do genetic testing, but most people in the U.S. don't actually do that. It's made on clinical grounds, and if you have anybody with LDLs that are well over 200 and a bad family history, it's worthwhile treating them aggressively. And the other thing we want people to do is to screen relatives. If you find a patient who really looks like they have FH, then since this is an autosomal dominant disease, all of their family members should be screened. Their siblings, their parents, their children, depending on the age of the person, should be screened because we'd like people to be screened and we'd like them to be treated early. If you start treating people at a younger age, particularly with statins, you decrease their risk of coronary disease instead of a 20-fold increased risk of CHD, premature CHD, you can take them to being similar to the rest of the population. So you can actually prevent premature death. So this is a very important issue. So let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, since it's autosomal dominant, the children need to be screened, brothers and sisters. And occasionally you'll see a family where only the women, for whatever reason, it's been passed down through the females and they don't smoke and you don't see the rampant atherosclerosis that we generally would think of in the family. Can you talk a little bit about the risk for males versus females, the effect of tobacco use on the younger females, and then a little bit about at what age would you start treating if you find that your 5-year-old children have FH, and is there a difference in the age you treat based on whether they're a female or male? Typically, you would start seeing heart disease in 30s and 40s in men. Women tend to be about 10 years later and after menopause. However, what happens is if you have women who smoke or have uncontrolled hypertension or significant obesity, those are factors that increase the risk. So if you add smoking to FH, you end up pretty much with disastrous effects. If the male relatives in the family have heart attacks in their 40s, 
and you have a younger man who has FH and is smoking, you might see that person with coronary disease in their late 20s or early 30s. The smoking takes it down by 10, 15 years. So smoking plus FH is a real disaster. So most of the women that we see who have coronary disease before menopause have smoked, or a very large percentage of them. I don't know about your practice, but the ones that I see with the heart disease in their 30s either have diabetes, hypertension, or smoking in addition to FH. Absolutely. I think actually Neil Stone published that some years ago that, you know, women who smoke have something like a 50% incidence of symptomatic coronary disease in their 30s if they have FH. And if they don't, they seem to do better than the men. Right. They're about 10 years behind the men, typically, whatever is going on in the family. You guys are just a more perfect organism. It drives me crazy, but it's true. (laughs) So the issue of when to treat the children, we would screen kids by age two if they come from what looks like an obviously FH family or there's really early heart disease. But definitely you want to screen all of the kids. There are five of the statins are approved for treatment of children starting at age 10, and one, pravastatin, is approved at age 8. So depending on how high the levels are and what the family history is like, many people would start treatment about somewhere between age 8 and 10. And the treatment of choice would be a statin at this point. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss familial hypercholesterolemia is Dr. Ann Goldberg, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism and Lipid Research at Washington University School of Medicine. So during the second part of the interview, Ann, let's talk a little bit more about age of treatment. Is there a difference in what age you might treat a boy versus a girl? And do we have as much data on the safety of treating young women versus young men? It was statin therapy specifically. Most of us would probably not make much distinction. The main caveat in girls would be that you need to avoid pregnancy. And so that's always a discussion that we have if we're going to be treating teenage girls is we prefer that they're on birth control pills, actually, or that they're really highly unlikely to get pregnant because the statins are category X for pregnancy. So that is an issue. At this point, I really do not make that much of a distinction in terms of what age I start treatment because you'd really like to get prevention as early as possible. And the data are pretty good for both boys and girls. There are nice medium period trials of statins in children and adolescents, and there really don't seem to be any major problems. What I do with my young women who are of pregnancy age is I just forewarn them that when they decide they want to conceive then they should go off their statin and stay off it till after they deliver and when they're done breastfeeding, go back on. I feel fairly comfortable with that because if they're non-smokers, because the women have a little bit less danger early in their life. But I'm wondering, is that what you tell your patients or you wouldn't tell them they could never get pregnant if they have FH? Oh, no, 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 no. We, no, that's the advice I give. We discuss this at every visit essentially and say, you know, when you're ready to plan your family, stop your statin several weeks before you stop your birth control pills. Since the statins have half-lives of no more than like 20 hours, really within a week the statin blood level and even the metabolite level should be down considerably. So I'm pretty comfortable with two to four weeks of being off of statins before they stop the birth control pill. Then they don't take any medication during pregnancy in general, although you could use one of the bile acid sequestrants, but most people 
end up not really being treated during pregnancy. And you don't want to use most of the medications during breastfeeding because they do get in breast milk. The exception, again, would be bile acid sequestrant, such as colocevalam. So let me ask you a little bit more about the bile acid sequestrants. Years ago when I was a boy, that's what they would give the children because everybody was worried that statins might be toxic. So now that we know that statins are pretty safe, do you use bile acid sequestrants in younger kids or do you just start with statin therapy? I find that the kids really do not take the bile acid sequestrants and therefore the statins work much better because you actually get them to take some of the statins most of the time. In the European experience, uh, for example, in the Netherlands, they start kids in that age range, 6 to 8. They start them on a low dose of pravastatin, and they gradually go up on the dosing and the type of drug as the kids get older. We have used resins, bilysis sequestrants, in kids. We used them for a long time, but it was always very problematic about whether they would actually take them. Yeah, that was my experience, too. So have you noticed that you get surprising reductions in LDL in the kids when you use modest dose of statins compared to what you might expect in an adult? It varies a lot from child to child, but you do get, you know, a pretty nice, at least starting decrease in numbers, and any decrease is good. I think that over time, by the time we end up in the teens, we really want to try to get the LDL down by a good 50%. So let me ask you about a situation where one might misdiagnose the patient with FH. If you had a patient who came in with LDL cholesterol of 200 and normal HDL and triglycerides, which we really didn't talk about, but usually these patients just have a slightly low HDL and their triglycerides are usually normal, but neither parent has dyslipidemia. What kind of things do you think about before you diagnose them as FH? I'm glad you brought that up because before you start treating any of these people, you'd like to rule out secondary causes of hyperlipidemia. So we'd like to make sure they're not hypothyroid, rule out diabetes, rule out kidney disease, nephrotic syndrome. Those would be the main things I would want to. Occasionally, there's some medication effects, but really particularly want to make sure they're not hypothyroid because we see every once in a while a young person who has a very high LDL, you treat their hypothyroidism and it goes down to normal. Well, Anne, congratulations on all your work on this. I know you've led the charge as the director of the foundation. You've really pushed the foundation in the direction of this very important topic. So congratulations on all your efforts and those who've been working with you. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest from uh, the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Assistant Professor of Medicine, Dr. Ann Goldberg. And thanks again for taking the time to speak to us about familial hypercholesterolemia. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.